Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities. Hey, everybody, Joseph Goslin with the Operators Podcast. And today we have Brian Murray. Brian is a published author, a very successful one. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to his awesome book about apartments. It's called Crushing It. And thank you for joining us today, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on your show. Uh, it's all of our pleasure here. Uh, why won't you give a few minutes to the audience so they'll know who you are, what your background and what you're doing today? Sure. I started my apartment investing back in 2007. So it's been 12 years. Um, I was actually working as a teacher at the time and trying to figure out a way to make some extra income. And I'd always been interested in real estate. So I got out there, started looking at properties and um, started slowly looking at bigger and bigger ones. And I actually made a little bit of an unusual start. I jumped in with a, with a pretty large office building uh, right out of the gate. And um, I did self-manage and I really had no idea what I was doing, but I figured it out as I went. And it took me a couple of years to turn that property around. And, um, but I, I learned how to add value to properties. I learned how to manage properties and I started buying additional ones. And I, I did the same thing. I, I bought retail and then I started buying multifamily and more and more we've been moving into multifamily. So at this point, uh, we've got a pretty large portfolio. We're based out of upstate New York. About two thirds of our properties now are multifamily. And we still operate um, all of our own properties. Um, the other thing that's probably a, a little bit atypical, um, we actually don't have any investors. So we haven't raised outside money to this point. Um, looking to the future, we've, we've reached a size where it's become harder to grow organically and maintain the growth rate that got us here. So we may be raising um, capital in the future, but for now we, we're still... Um, uh, haven't taken outside money. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And um, you mentioned that you self-manage, right? That's one of the questions we ask all of our guests. Do you self-manage or do you use third party? Uh, what led to the decision to self-manage? Well, I think, I think it was by necessity. You know, I, I'm not in a very large market and the very first property that I got, I assumed the mortgage on that property that, that that's, primarily how I got into a sizable property without having a lot of money to put down. And the lender at the time insisted that as uh, part of the conditions of assuming that I did find a property manager and I looked really hard and, and I just wasn't happy with the options I was finding. Eventually I settled on a property manager from outside of the area who basically agreed to do our bookkeeping and, and allow me to manage kind of under their umbrella and we kept that arrangement for, for a couple of years and they just charged a nominal fee. And at that point, um, I reached a spot that I could refinance that mortgage and, and get rid of them and I've managed ever since. But even when it was under, under their umbrella, uh, I was pretty much doing everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, you know, the, the backdrop in terms of how, how I ended up doing that. It really, really weren't options that I was, that I was particularly happy with. And what if there were options? Would you still make the same decision? Well, I, knowing what I know now, I think I, think I would. Um, you know, the, the, 
the challenge is what I've what I've come to find out is you just you just can't expect someone else to manage your property the way you would. There's really no substitute for that. Even when you find a good property manager, and when you do, they're worth their weight in gold. But you know, it's 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 a challenge. No one else ever going to look at a property quite the same way as an owner will. And I think even in situations where uh, in the future, I, I may be using third-party property management. I'll expect to keep a close eye on things because I, I think that's necessary. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I think it's worth repeating the statement of nobody's going to look at your property the way you do. Um, so we work with third-party property management, but we keep a very close uh, eye on everything. We look at the reports. We talk to the people in the field. We do surveys. Uh, direct to the residents, right? So, so we keep a very close uh, look because um, I, I like to say that you make your money when you buy, but you lose your money on operations, right? So that's why it's important to keep operation tight, regardless of who's managing. Yeah, so, I, I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is that if you do want to have third-party property management, you're going to be able to manage those third parties much better if you've got a little bit of experience doing it yourself. And I think a lot of people are, they look at it in reverse. They say, well, I don't, I don't know how to do it. So I'll hire somebody and then I'll learn. But I would actually encourage people to, to flip that on its head and say, I'm going to dive in there and I'm going to learn it so that I can manage property managers well down the road. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I'll just put one caveat. Uh, um, it, it works well when you have a 10, 20 unit property, but if you're jumping in on your first transaction to hundred plus, I wouldn't try to self-manage that one. That's true. A lender might not let you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a different conversation, right? Um, yep. Yep. So um, how many units total right now do you have under management? Uh, we've got um, around 600 residential and about another 100 uh, commercial. So we're, we're around 700 total in the portfolio. What would you say is your biggest operational challenge these days? Because 600 plus 100, that, that's a sizable operation. And, and I'm sure you have quite a few people working for you. Um, what's the biggest challenge? I'd say the biggest challenge is, is just, it's not even unique to real estate. It's, it's, it's finding good people. It's people management. It's, it's dealing with uh, all the drama that comes with that. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I can, I think that any business owner out there can, can probably tell the same stories, whether they're in, in retail or, or real estate or something completely different. Um, once you've got that many people um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of headaches that can come with that. And um, I feel very fortunate. I, I feel like I've got a, a pretty good team, but you know, we've still had we've had turnover and had the same experiences that other that other business owners have. And in property management, you get a lot of you have by necessity quite a few hourly workers, and you know sometimes there's those positions tend to have higher turnover. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting how your challenges are very similar to our challenges, even though we use third party, uh, we still have challenges with hiring and finding the right people and the high turnover. Uh, so, so that problem exceeds um, having a third party manager or not. Uh, granted, they do a lot of the hiring and they deal with a lot of the drama, but um, it's still part of our operation and our uh, look at, outlook at things. Um, so if you don't mind, let's take a, a couple of examples of, of 
properties that you had in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. If you can share one win and one horror stories, because I'm sure you have those. Everybody has those. Uh, yeah. Um, gosh. Um, well, maybe I'll start with a with a horror story because there's more to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we we've have our share of you know what I what I tell people is we're we're making we're making mistakes and learning things every day, and and we have our little wins every day. You know, and some are bigger than others. Just it's it's just uh, perpetual, and so. There is a lot to choose from there on both sides. Um, I would say uh, one of the biggest mistakes we made um, came right on the heels of one of our greatest success stories. So uh, we had two two different uh, multifamily properties that we purchased at um, at auction, um, one right after the other. So the first one that we purchased at auction, I actually chronicle that one in my book, um, and that was a very distressed. Uh, five-story multifamily uh, building, apartment building was, um, it, it really was in rough shape. The, you know, the very dark interiors, the lights were smashed out. There's a lot of drug activity in there. It really had been let go pretty bad. And, um, you know, we, we were able to step in, uh, take that property over. We actually temporarily relocated our management office into the building um, because I knew that there was a lot of uh, tendency to kind of look the other way and not want to deal head on with some of the things that were there. But uh, we worked through it. We, we, we lit the place up inside now. We put security cameras everywhere and we just started making improvements and, and uh, worked our way through the, the, the tenants that were doing things they weren't supposed to, weren't happy to see all those lights and security cameras and uh, the tenants that, that, that were fine were, were happy to see that. And so, you know, I think one of the one of the things we learned from that was that a lot of that stuff sorts itself out. You know, you, you people don't want to if they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. They don't they don't want that presence. They don't want that going on. And, and a lot of them just chose to up and leave on their own. Um, it wasn't all that smooth. You know, we definitely had our challenges, and I, and I walked through that. But um, it was a, it was a great project, and um, you know, we we were able to. Um, create a property that, that was valued at, at more than, you know, when it was appraised, we refinanced it a few years after we bought it and it, it appraised at more than, more than double what we paid for it. So we were very happy with that. Um, but you know, that, that project was underway and going well and, and uh, everything looked good. And we had another opportunity to do a similar one and we did the same thing. We went in, we bought it at auction. It was, it was distressed. Uh, but in this case, we learned a really hard lesson and, and realized how fortunately we fortunate we were with the first one that when we got in and we started uh, doing the work, we kept uncovering things behind the walls that we hadn't been aware were that was there. And um, we ended up tearing everything out. We didn't anticipate that we, we completely gutted it on and ended up putting in all new uh, mechanicals and, and uh, even, even making some structural uh, repairs and had some environmental remediation. It was pretty much anything you could think of that, that would, that could have been in there hidden behind those walls was there. Um, we powered through, we, we got the project done. Um, but it had a, that, that one had a main building with 20 units and it had a, um, an old, it was an older building and it had an old carriage house out back that had, uh, another, uh, eight units in it and and we we ended up tearing that building down instead of continuing to to hemorrhage money into that project um, in the end it's a it's a beautiful property but I, I don't think we'll ever get back what we put into it 
Yeah, so so really great lessons here. I wanted to dive into some of them a little bit. The first one, you decided to move your office into it. And, and I want to learn a little bit more about that decision because I do believe that proximity is power. Um, and I kind of made it a little bit of, you made me laugh a little bit with the, uh, once you put the security lights and, and all that, it's kind of like when you shine a, a light on a dark corner, usually all the rats run away, right? That's right. So, uh, so what led you to move your office in there and how do you think this would end up if you were not physically in the building? When we, put, when we realized we won the auction, I still remember sitting down in a conference room with my team and talking about our options and how, how we were going to handle this. And the, the unanimous consensus around the table was keep the property manager on. We, we don't, this is one we don't want to manage ourselves. And that's right then I knew that this wasn't going to work. Um, so I, 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 I don't normally do this. I weigh the input from my team very carefully, but I actually put my foot down and I said, no, this, this needs a complete overhaul. We need to be doing this. We can't, we can't do that. That's the easy way out. It's not the right way to do this. It's not going to be successful unless there's a change. Seeing how, you know, what I saw in that meeting was an aversion to confronting things that there was, there was going to be conflict. It was going to be uncomfortable. Um, there, there were too many excuses that people would have to work on something else or look the other way or procrastinate when there's something that challenging. And I felt like physically locating ourselves in the building made that impossible because everything was right there in your face. You would see the tenants, you would see what was going on. The, the, the good tenants would walk downstairs with concerns or complaints and, and speak right to us. And we had enough contractors in there and with our office in there that there were people all over the place and all those things that would go on, you know, without any observation in the past, they couldn't happen anymore. And I think, I, I do think moving in there was, was in hindsight, definitely the best decision. It was a highly effective approach and, um, you know, it worked out in that, in this case. Awesome. That, that's great. And then, with the other one, the one that you had to tear down a lot of things, um, was there anything you could have done otherwise? Hindsight looking, right? Everybody is, is smarter hindsight. Right. Um, anything you could have done? I know it's an auction, so I don't know if you had access to it before or not. Um, anything you could have done to figure out these things before you actually bought it and started tearing down walls? So you're absolutely right. When you, when you buy at auction, oftentimes you don't have access. We had very limited access in, in both cases. So um, in the first case, we actually had a tenant let us in um, and walk around. In the second case, it, the front door wasn't locked. And so we, we were able to kind of poke around and, and look around, but not do a thorough inspection. Um, so the price we paid for that was that we weren't aware of a lot of the problems that were in there. And so I think the real lesson learned um, wasn't necessarily not to buy things at auction, but to what, when you do that, to do it recognizing and accepting the fact that, there, that those problems could and very well may exist. And you got to factor that into your price and into your, into your budget. If you, if you can't get that, if you can't get that access, you have to assume the worst. Yes, that, that, that's a perfect access. Uh, uh, it's a perfect statement right there. If you, if you don't know it, it, it's easier to assume the worst than to handle with the aftermath, right? Exactly. Okay. 
Great. Um, I want to circle back to the conversation about uh, hiring people. Um, what do you guys do when you need to hire people in your uh, um, organization? Do you have a certain process? Do you guys use any um, psychological uh, tests? Uh, what, do you, what is your process? Well, you know, we, we've tried a lot of different things. Um, we, we try to get a, candidates in front of as many people as possible. But um, you know, if I have to think through sort of what's effective and what's not, I think, um, and this goes not, not only in my experience in real estate, but in, in prior to that as well, I think many of our, probably most of our best hires over the years have been from referrals. So the, the number one thing I would say that we do is talk to everybody on staff and see, hey, do you know somebody? Is there someone you've worked with in the past that, that you could vouch for or that might be interested? And don't limit your pool to people who are actively looking. You know, so what I'll, what I'll do is I'll talk to somebody on the team and I'll go, I, I, don't, I don't care if they're looking or not. Think about the last place you worked. Who, was, who were the stars there? Like, tell me who they are. You know, let's reach out to them. Let's, let's invite them in, see if they'll have a conversation. Because unfortunately, a lot of people who are good at what they do are focused on their job instead of out looking for other opportunities. And, you know, sometimes you got to actively go to them and pull them away. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like finding properties, right? Like not all the good properties are for sale, but you know, everything's for sale for the right price. So if you go and knock on a door and you talk to somebody just because they weren't planning to sell, you may have planted a seed. They might come back to you later. Um, or they might actually engage in a conversation on the spot. So, um, it, I think employees are really similar in that respect. Well, that's a great tip. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so we have in our industry, we have a lot of compliance regulations, fair housing rules and so on. Um, how do you keep your team updated and, and up to uh, code, if you want to call it this way, with all the regulations and compliance? Uh, we, we've got a great property manager who stays on top of that stuff for us. And, you know, she will educate new hires. We've, we've had a professional come in to, to deliver a training to staff and um, you know, we, we try to try to uh, do the best we can with that. Are you using any certain system or um, you're just keep training every once in a while to make sure everybody is current? Yep. Yeah. Just, just keep everybody trained. Okay. Um, do you do any fee management for other people, other owners? No, no, just our own properties. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. That makes sense. Um, some people do that. Um, I honestly, um, find it really challenging to, to think about managing other people's property. Uh, it, it sounds like a lot of work and not a lot of, uh, gain. So yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. A lot. There's so much that goes into it. You know, I, I think, um, I think it's money hard earned. So I think there's, there's, uh, if you're going to manage properties, well, you, I think you'll, you'll have a lot of business for yourself. Um, in my opinion, probably the best reward for that could be leads on properties that you might eventually acquire yourself, but, um, the margins are, are narrow and you know, it's, it's definitely not a, a part of our business that we're looking to grow. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you do any special events for your residents or any like pool parties or uh, I don't know, some people do donuts in the mornings and uh, what do you guys do for your residents? 
So that's not something we do really in our properties. Um, you know, I know, I know that that's, that's done more widely. We really haven't, we really haven't gone in that direction. Most of our, most of our, um, communities are not, um, a class or even B class. It's mostly, I'd say, you know, C plus, uh, communities, um, workforce housing. And, um, you know, it's just not something we've had to do and we're, we're, we're content to not spend that extra money doing that. Okay. Well, C-class residents like uh, parties too. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That's true. There are a lot of things they like. We're, we're not going to pay for them all. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> just a little tip uh, from our operations, right? Um, we have C-class properties too. And when we want to do like a pool party, something like that, we reach out to vendors in the area and they usually come in and sponsor or they'll bring a booth or something. They'll donate presents, uh, like gift cards and stuff like that. So you can do these things on a relatively low budget. Uh, yeah. And it's definitely helping with the engagement uh, um, with the residents. So if you guys don't do events uh, or stuff like that, um, do you have anything you do to keep retention high? I would say that the number one thing we do is we've developed a, a reputation for great customer service and um, taking care of our properties. And in the communities that we operate, people, people recognize that if they want to live someplace where um, it's going to be well tended to and, and if they have any concerns, they're going to be addressed. Um, you know, that, that's what sets us apart from the competition. Yeah, no, that, that, at the end of the day, most people want just a safe, clean place to live in um, that when you need something, you're getting taken care of, right? So um, if that's the reputation you were able to build in your community, uh, then that makes a lot of sense why you will have retention and you'll stay full and so on. Okay. So um, what about that? <coughs> Sorry. Uh, what about value add projects? Uh, I, you mentioned the one that you have in your book and you mentioned the one that was not so great. So when you look at a project that is a value add, mm -hmm. how, how do you approach it? How do you decide what's worth it, what's not worth it, uh, where you should spend money, where you should not spend money? Uh, help me with what, what goes through your head. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, a lot of it's a lot of it's based on experience, but we'll we'll uh, we'll look both at the income side and at the expense side very carefully. Um, and you know, there's there's just a lot of opportunities usually surrounding the rent, particularly. You know, I, I would say like even to, even to raise it up a level, the best value add properties are I would say properties that are poorly managed. And so, the more poorly managed the property is, the more excited we get when we look at it. And um, that's often an inattentive owner. Um, it's usually third-party management. It's often somebody that doesn't live nearby or ever visit the property. It might be out of touch with the with the local market conditions. So, I know I know one of the most common ways to raise value would be would be to to raise rents. But honestly, um, just as often we go into uh, a value add project and lower rents and. You, know, you don't really hear people talking about that, but it really depends on the market you're in. 
So if you're in a, if you're in a high growth market and, and you're fortunate enough to be in that environment where rents are rapidly growing, you're much more likely to raise rents. But if you're in a slow growth market or even a declining market, a lot of times the rents that, that the owner might be charging are too high. And so if you can, for example, lower, lowering rents by say 5% might result in a 10% increase in occupancy. And then you're driving up your, your, your rental income by lowering rents. And so there's been a number of occasions that that's worked well for us that we'll actually go in and, and actually we're, we're actually working on turning around a, a project right now that um, had about 55% occupancy. And uh, the first thing we did is we went in and we slashed the rents because the owners were out of touch with the local market. They didn't really understand that, hey, your, the rents were, were, were too, way too high. And um, you know, we, we bought that project um, November 30th. And uh, you know, we're, here we are um, you know, four, four months later, or five, five months later, and, and we're, we're up uh, in the upper 70s in terms of occupancy. And, and the number one thing we did was, was to lower rents. Um, but uh, you know, we're always looking at expenses as well. We want to try to uh, make investments that are going to be long-term, not afraid to spend the money up front if it means it's going to hold expenses down longer term. So, um, and you know that there's there's dozens and dozens of areas that we would look at with something like that. Um, so yeah, just looking at all opportunities on 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 both sides, both the income and on the expense side. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, I I think you had a really good points in that. So I want to kind of reiterate a couple of them. Um, the occupancy versus rate is always uh, a balance, right? It, they both pull different ways. Uh, the higher the rates, the lower the occupancy and so on. A common mistake I've seen uh, people doing their underwriting is finding a property that is um, occupied higher than market, right? So if, let's say the market is at 90%, the property is occupied at 95%, and but the rates are below market. And in their underwriting, they underwrite that the rates will go back to market, but they don't bring the occupancy back to market, right? And then that's double right. dipping and you can't really get that. So um, I think your approach of let's put the rents a little bit lower so we can get the occupancy really shows the understanding of these two are pulling in different directions. And exactly. uh, um, so that's great. And definitely having occupancy means there's more uh, income coming in, which allows you to do more with the property. Um, can you give us, I don't know, three top ways to reduce expenses? Stuff that sure. you like to do. Um, Wow, you know, there's there's a there's a lot to choose from. Um, one of them I mentioned already, which which is the cameras. Um, more and more, we're, we're we're going to that fairly quickly, and a lot of that has to do with we've taken on a lot of distressed properties. Like we we like to create value with with properties that are poorly managed, but you know, installing installing cameras throughout a property really can change the behavior and and reduce the amount of damage in the property and and abuses. You know, people you know, abandoning things in the hallways or, or, you know, throwing extra stuff in the dumpster or, or doing different things that are going to cost you money. Um, and, and frankly, it discourages the, the tenants who are bad tenants from living there. Um, so, you know, early on, um, 
putting those cameras in, I, I think usually gets us over the long run, a, a great return in, in, in terms of driving down expenses. Um, you know, one, one that uh, I learned a lesson on, after, took, took me 10 years to figure this out, um, but we were, we went through and, and um, different times we've made, you know, we, we make a lot of insurance claims. And what I, what I began to realize is that um, so often when something would happen at a property and we would go and we, we would say, well, what's, what's the damage? And we would talk about whether to submit the claim or not. And uh, I just began to realize that over time, we, we really had determined that pretty much any, any claim less than about $15,000 wasn't worth it to submit because our insurance rates would go up and we would, we would have, to, we wouldn't end up uh, ahead by submitting claims that were that low. And um, so at, at a certain point in time, I, I realized that, Hey, we basically stopped submitting insurance claims for less than between 10 and $15,000. Yet all of our insurance deductibles were at $5,000. Um, so we went back through and raised all of our, insurance deductibles up to anywhere from 15 to $25,000. And we saved our company about a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, making all those changes. So, um, I think that's a, you know, talking to investors, especially ones that are starting to build a, a, a portfolio and have enough, enough doors to weather the storm, uh, enough reserves to weather the storm if they need to, um, come up with an unexpected $10,000, um, they might, might want to take a look and make, make sure that they've got the right, um, you know, and they're not overinsured paying for coverage that you don't need because insurance costs keep rising. And, and uh, one way to get, get those rates down a little lower is carry a, carry a high deductible. Um, That's a fantastic tip. The, I've uh, never heard that one. So, so. <laughs> um, this, you know, there, like I said, there's just dozens and dozens of different, different things that we do. One, one thing that's a little unique that we do and almost every property we buy, we end up, uh, when we, when we rekey, we, we always take the, um, the locks out of passage knobs on the doors. Um, and what we realize is if we, if we only have a deadbolt on all the apartment doors and we don't have keys in the passage knobs, the lockouts practically disappear becomes, it becomes practically impossible to lock yourself out. Um, you know, the most common lockout is when you, you've got, you've got the passage knob locked on and you walk out and then you close it and you realize you don't have your key. Yep. It's, you can't, you can't lock your door unless you have your key from the exterior when you only have the, the deadbolt. Um, and I would say almost every apartment community that we've acquired has had the locks in the passage knobs so we'll eliminate that. And, so we're always trying to think of things that'll little things like that, that pay you back later. And, um, you know, like we, we don't like to see, um, you know, garbage disposals. And so what do we do? We, instead of fix them, we all, we just take them out. Um, unless it's required, you know, by, by whatever, um, water sewer district you're in, but in, in the cases that we, we haven't had anything that's, that's obligated us to keep them and, uh, the tenants don't seem to care. So we'll, we'll take those out and then, you know, cause there's, there's certain things that just tend end up taking a lot of labor, you know, like, yep. um, you know, whether it's, uh, ice makers or, um, you know, there's, there's just, uh, garbage disposals. There's certain things that tend to break and, and can be expensive to fix. So, um, we try to avoid those. 
Yeah, so so that's great. Um, we do the same with the garbage disposal, but not in all of our communities, right? Uh, some of the communities are a little bit uh, nicer and the people want the garbage disposals. Uh, in the lower end communities, people don't care, so we just eliminate them. Um, we haven't done that, but I've seen some owners, and low, usually it's in the C minus uh, kind of class, um, they take away the dishwashers because the residents don't use them. They use them as, as cabinets. So yeah. they just store stuff in them. So uh, um, they started eliminating uh, the dishwashers and put in a, uh, uh, just a cabinet in there. Okay, great. So uh, um, if you went back in time to Brian in 2007, what would be the best advice you can give? Oh, well, um, you know, I, I, uh, I would say set your, set your fears aside and, and stop worrying that you might make mistakes because you're going to, but that's okay. Um, you know, uh, you know, what, what does, what does our friend Rod Khalif call them? Seminars? Seminars. Yes. <laughs> Seminars. So that, that's what they are. And, and, um, you know, managing a property yourself is, is an opportunity to have a seminar every day and get some, get some education. So, um, you know, I, I think if you're thinking about being an operator and you haven't taken that step, I, I think you just, you go for it. And, um, you know, to be successful, I think, um, I would say two, two things to keep in mind. One would be, um, try to be as, as proactive as you can instead of reactive. I think property managers tend to fall somewhere on a spectrum there. And, and unfortunately, you know, when budgets are tight, you're always, you find yourself always reacting. You're always like trying to solve, solve problems. And then that doesn't leave you the opportunity to get out in front of things and to try to push as hard as you can to stay on the, on the, on the forefront of being, being proactive and preventing the problems from happening to begin with. Management um, by crisis, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is that one of the problems that's really pervasive in the industry is that, um, property managers and property management companies often develop this poor culture where it's really an us versus them mentality with the tenants. And I actually think it was an advantage that I didn't have property management experience when I started. Uh, before I was teaching, I, I worked in, in uh, a, a customer service area in, in a technology company. And I just, I just had that that mentality that hey these these are these are not tenants they're they're customers and they are the ones who's paying the bills and you know we're providing a service for them and you have to think about them as customers and you have to treat them that way and and it's a challenge you know i i've i've hired people who have experience in property management and it's you know they 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 often have that that us versus them mentality. And I have to make sure that that's not carried into my company. We want to create a culture that's that's service oriented, and um, if you can do that successfully, that gives you a competitive advantage. It's not it's not easy to do, but yeah, just think of, think about your tenants as as customers because because that's what they are. Yeah, I know that's that's a, another great gold nugget in this in this show. Um, we don't call them tenants, we call them residents, right? And I 
every time I get a chance to yeah. talk to our on on-site staff, I keep reminding them that the people that pay their salaries is not the property management. It's not me. It's the guys out there in the units, right? So I tell them it's like a JC Penny. You walk in and you walk by an associate, they'll lift their head, they'll smile and say, Hey, can I help you today? Right? Did you find everything okay? I tell the same thing to our leasing agents and to our maintenance guys. You walk down an aisle, a path and somebody and a resident comes across this your your way, lift your head, smile, wish them a great day, ask if there's anything you can do for them because these are the guys that pay your salary. So um, it takes a while, you're right, there's a lot of us versus them mentality out there, um, but kindness doesn't cost money. And, yeah. and if you're kind, you can be firm and kind, you can be uh, demanding and kind, but kind should be one of the, the ground uh, um, qualities you want from your onsite staff, and anyone that interacts with the residents. Yep. And, and the, you know, we talked about, we talked about a variety of things and, you know, for someone, for someone that's um, just getting started or early in the process, the, the, the adding value and the taking care of the property, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be complicated either. And some of the, you know, the, probably the, the number one thing that I look at right out of the gate is making a property clean um, painting it, landscaping. And a lot of that, when I first started out, I would do that myself. And I, it doesn't, you know, maybe to do it at a professional level, I don't have those skills, of course, but you know, I, I can paint and I can, I can do some basic landscaping and, and I can clean. Um, and if you do those things, it, it really can make a property a, a world of difference. And, um, you'll find that, that that'll have probably an even better return than some of the, some of the more, complicated things that we already discussed. So, you know, going back, I probably reassure myself um, at an early age that, hey, these are things you can do. You can go out and you can do these things and you can be successful and you can do it as well as somebody else. And you can learn as you go for, for the things that are more complicated. And there's always other people you can talk to for advice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Brian, this has been fantastic. A lot of great, great information and gold nuggets here. Um, I want you to take a couple more minutes and tell the audience where they can find you, uh, where they can get your book, which is phenomenal and highly recommended. Uh, we'll have links at the show notes, but uh, tell us how we can find you. Sure. You can find me on either LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, you'll, you can find my website at WashingtonStreetProperties.com. Um, and my book, which is Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate, you can, the easiest way to find that is right on amazon.com. And, um, you know, if any of your listeners uh, read that book and uh, have questions at the end, they're, they're welcome to reach out to me through LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm always glad to answer questions. But um, that was a, a two-year project that I really was motivated to try to share everything I've learned in my journey with people who want to try to do the same thing and um, everything I could think of that might be helpful to somebody I, I put into that book. So hopefully some of your listeners will find that to be a good resource. Yeah, I, I know it was great uh, to read for me and I highly recommend it for everybody. Uh, thank you so much, Brian, for being our guest today and for everybody else. We'll see you in the next chapter. Thanks, Joseph. Take care. Take care.